Good morning. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We are looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning, and if you're just joining us, we've been studying the book of Luke, and we finished chapter 1 and now are entering into chapter 2. Now, as Christy's reading, you're probably thinking about Christmas, and this is the passage that we read and uh, meditate on during Christmas, but it's August, and it's hot, and it's going to be different. Um, but what I hope is that as we look at this passage, you'll see it a little differently than you usually do. Because it is a little different time of year, there's a different perspective. And I hope that you'll think of it as the reality of God coming into our chaos. That kind of what I said to the kids that it's so often during Christmas we see this picture of Christmas. It's kind of like the front of the box of the puzzle. And if you like to put puzzles together, then you're sold on putting a puzzle together because of that front picture. You think, boy, that looks so peaceful. Even the puzzle that I brought today. It's a fire with a chair sitting there looks like peace, looks nice. And then you take that puzzle off, the, the top off, and you dump out the puzzle on the table. And it looks completely chaotic. There's lumps of puzzle pieces. And then, if you're a good puzzle putter together, like my wife is, then you begin with the outside, right? The, the sides, you frame it, and you began putting that puzzle together. But in the beginning, it's very chaotic. In the beginning, it doesn't even look like it should go together. And if you're honest, there are times if you put puzzles together that you pick up a piece and you say, this one doesn't go in this puzzle. The manufacturers have completely messed up. They don't know what they're doing. And you think that that piece doesn't fit. If we're honest too, there are parts of our lives where we do this. There are seasons in our lives where we think, this doesn't fit. God doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know this person. He doesn't know the situation, the hurt that I really feel 
This isn't supposed to go into this perfect plan. But as we know, in the birth of Jesus, the perfect came in to our chaos. The perfect one came in and entered into our complete mess. And as Paul says in Galatians 4, but when the time had fully come, perfectly come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. God sent his son into our mess to make us his daughters and sons, to redeem us, to take these messed up puzzle pieces and put them all together to make something perfect and beautiful. This is God's plan. And that's what I want us to meditate on this morning as we read the traditional and think about the traditional Christmas story of the birth of Christ. I want you to see the perfection of it. I want you to see the mess of it, but I want you to see the perfection of it and how God put all of this together. Three things I want to point out. Number one is the perfect plan. Number two, the perfect place. And then thirdly is the perfect person. So first of all, as we think about the perfect plan, look at verse one and just notice all the pieces of the puzzle here, all the people and places that Luke helps us to understand. He identifies Caesar Augustus in verse 1. In verse 2, he identifies Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. And then we know in 4 and following, he talks about Mary and Joseph. But first, let's think about Caesar Augustus. Who was this person? At the time, he was the Roman emperor, and he had called everyone to come and register. Um, We would think of this as a census. And so he was the most powerful person in the world at the time, Uh, the ruler, the emperor of the Roman government, uh, of all of the Roman Empire, and he was uh, doing something in a decree to get everyone to register, everyone to find out who they are exactly, even to discover their jobs. Now, most historians would say at this point what he was doing is one of two things, He was either trying to show his political power, look at how many people I rule, or he was trying to get everyone to register so that they could pay taxes. So he was either after power or money. This was not a godly thing. This was not something that he was trying to do to, to help everybody else. He was doing it for himself. Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and he was kind of uh, another authority, but obviously not as powerful as Caesar at the time, and he was given the orders to carry out the census or the registration. And so it's kind of like Caesar's the president, and then Quirinius was the governor of the state, and he was to carry out these orders. But just notice that both of these men had tremendous power. Both of these men were also extremely wealthy. And then we see Mary and Joseph, two teenagers, 
Two teenagers who are extremely poor, very humble, not after political power, not after trying to get rich. They were very different than Caesar and Governor Quirinius. But yet what God was doing here was using the humble and the weak and the poor to show riches to show beauty. God didn't send his son to Augustus. He didn't send his son to Quirinius. He sent his son to the poor, to the weak. But then soon, they were going to be the parents of the most powerful king that would ever walk the earth. They were going to be the parents of the one who would be rich And he would be the most powerful person to ever live. So I hope you'll see here in the beginning that God's plan doesn't look very clear. You kind of go, what is he doing? Why wouldn't you give your son to the rich, to the powerful? God was working his plan. And his plan was perfect. And his plan is perfect I also also hope you'll see here with this history that Luke is pointing us to these facts in history and helping us understand that God is at work in history, and this is real. This isn't just pretend. This isn't fiction. Uh, You can go back and study Augustus Caesar, and you can go back and look at Quirinius. In fact, they were still making reference to a lot of the work that Quirinius had done in this um, in this work of, of, the, um, of the archives, of uh, the appeals here, we're looking at them even a hundred years later. That what Quirinius had done, the Romans were going back and saying this registration was done so extremely well that they were looking at it. They were using it. This is not fiction. This is not a fairy tale. This is the truth of what God is doing, and he put Jesus in at this time in history. God is working a perfect plan. We see that very clearly here. So we see the perfect plan. We also see the perfect place. And when you think about where Jesus is born, if you know the Old Testament, it does seem a little odd. That Jesus was with his parents in Nazareth, and his mother was very pregnant. In the, the passage that we even looked at this morning, and our call to worship from Micah 5, tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But there they are, in Nazareth. And she's very pregnant, and she's about to give birth. And so you go... What's God doing? Is this his plan? As one commentator said, one of the things that Luke is telling us is that God is sovereignly in the details of the birth of Christ. If you're a faithful Hebrew believer, you're nervous because you know that Micah 5 tells you that the Messiah is not going to be born in Nazareth. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so you're immediately nervous and you're wondering, Lord, how are you going to get this family from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
Again, Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 90 miles. Mary's very pregnant. What are they supposed to do? Should they get up and say, you know, we know Micah 5, we know the Old Testament scriptures, so we're just going to do this on our own. John Calvin says that, that God led them like two blind people holding their hand in his perfect will. God did this. God is the one that took them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And he did it by turning the heart of the most powerful man in the world through his greed, through his hunger for power. God changed his heart. God made that decree. God got his son the place that he was to be born. It didn't make sense. It seemed like, again, the clump of puzzle pieces. And God starts to put these things together. God did this at the last minute. He did it, as we know, with not a whole lot of other options. It's kind of like if you are like me and you like the show 24, and you know that when Jack Bauer is about to die and there's 10 minutes left in the show, he's not going to die. It's going to happen. He's going to survive. They're going to take you to a commercial and you're going to think he's about to die. But there's still 10 minutes left. Something's going to happen. That's what we see here. God did it. Ligon Duncan says this, God not only was at work in the timing of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ says that God is concerned about every detail of his life and of our life. That Jesus later says, not a hair can fall from your head apart from the perfect will of your heavenly father. God was working a perfect plan. And God was doing it in the perfect place. This was his plan from the beginning. Do we think that God is really in control? Do we think he's in control of all the details? Are there details in your life right now that you just don't think God has anything to do with? Luke's telling us differently. Because Caesar wasn't in control. Mary and Joseph weren't in control. God was. And God is, and he continues to be in control. We also wonder at times if God's timing is right. And again, we see here that his timing is perfect. And even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense to us what God is up to, is why is he doing this? Solomon tells us in Proverbs to not lean on our own understanding. He says, do not lean on your own understanding. But the beginning of that verse says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is the call of perfection, is to put our trust in him. And what he's doing in his character, in his holiness. That he's the perfect God. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the king of all kings. He has all of the riches. He has all of the power. 
And so we look to him, even in our heartache, even in our hurt. He's bringing forth redemption, and he's involved in all of the details. His plan is perfect. His places that he has put us and put his people are perfect. And then finally here we see that he gives us the perfect person. Notice verse 6 again. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now again, remember who Mary is. Mary is a virgin. She has been with no man. And as we declare when we say the Apostles' Creed that we believe in this, we believe in the Virgin Mary. We also believe that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The perfect seed in this virgin. This is the way that Jesus came forth. That this baby was born perfect. The only human to ever be born with no sin, no original sin, no selfishness, no mistakes. He was the perfect child. He was born as God, fully man and fully God. This is the concept of the incarnation, right? That God became man and came to us. God came to the earth. And Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights, was born to this poor family, was born without power, And he came forth as the perfect human. Larry King, the great interviewer and one of the best question askers on the planet, was once asked, if you could interview anyone in the history of the world, who would it be? Larry King said, Jesus Christ. And then the other interviewer asked him, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? And Larry King said this, I would like to ask him if his mother was indeed a virgin. The answer to that question would define history for me. I want to talk to Jesus. I want to know if his mom really was a virgin. That would define history. Again, someone who's not even a believer sees this. That the virgin birth, the perfect human I think often this can feel like something far off for us. That, that was there really ever a perfect person? Was there really ever someone that completely without sin? And Luke is telling us absolutely, this is Jesus. John tells us this in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But being born 
coming into this world was the perfect man. And even though he was born, of course, in a barn, they went to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They get there. There's no room in the inn. There's no place for them to stay. And so just to emphasize the poverty, emphasize that Jesus had come humble. He's born in a barn. He's laid in a manger. This was his first experience as a human. The perfect coming into our mess, into the brokenness of this world. But think of this too. If you're standing there and you're Joseph and Mary and you see Jesus and you kind of experience that there's, we're in this barn. He's in a manger. And then you remember Isaiah 9 The government will be on his shoulders. He will be mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. How in the world is this going to happen? How in the world is this little humble baby with us as his parents, how is he going to be the ruler of all? The answer is difficult. But then we know as we enter into this chapter 2 of Luke, we begin to see the people that will come. We'll talk about this next week, the shepherds. We'll talk about the, the kings. We'll talk about the angels. And remember what the angels say about him. Remember what they sing in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those in whom he is pleased. Jesus Christ came to bring perfect peace. To make those who are poor, rich. To make us who are are humble and weak, strong. He came to bring peace. And, and, And this isn't just to have a good day and to sit by the fire and and relax. This is shalom. (laughs) This is the peace of everything. This is the peace of the world. He came to bring peace, perfect peace. And for those of us who are in Christ, there is a perfect plan. And that plan is our redemption to make us sons and daughters of God to make us perfect, to make us saints, because he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, and he was raised again perfectly to make us holy. And there's a perfect place. The perfect place is heaven, that God is preparing for us, that Jesus himself will take us, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we'll be completely redeemed, and we'll enjoy our lives really for the first time fully. And there is a perfect person. That when we put our faith in Jesus, when we say to him, yes, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you. Then we have perfect peace. We can experience the perfection of God, even here on earth, not as fully as we will. But when we put our trust in him, we can taste and see of his perfection. Again, it's kind of like when you put that puzzle together. You see the front of the box, right? 
and then you dump it out on the table and you have work to do. There's frustration. There might even be, you know, throwing a couple of pieces. But eventually, you put that puzzle together. And you put in that last piece. And then you sit back. And you say, look. You get the front of the box. You hold it up and you look at the puzzle that you put together. It's perfect. This is what God is doing. And this morning, if you think that you're holding up a puzzle piece and going, this is just making no sense, just wait. Put your faith in him. Trust him when you can't see. Look to the perfect and watch him put these puzzle pieces together and bring forth redemption and perfection in your life. My hope is that as we study this chapter, we'll again see the perfection, and then next week we're going to talk about celebrating and the celebration that's called for because of Christ himself. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you this morning that we can rest in your perfection, that you have a perfect plan. You are the perfect person. You're preparing a perfect place for us. We pray, Lord, as we um, process these things, Lord, we would see your goodness. We would see your mercy in this. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray that this word would fall on soft soil and produce much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.